Well, good morning and welcome to The Crossing. I hope you had a great Christmas and glad that you're here with us this morning as we look ahead to the new year. I wanna start this morning by talking about Carol because you and I have more in common with Carol than we'd probably like to admit. Now, who is Carol? Carol is the main character in a 1995 psychological horror film called Safe. She's masterfully played by Julianne Moore. Carol's a, a wealthy woman who lives in an exclusive suburb of Los Angeles. And by our world's standards, Carol has it all. She's got the neighborhood, she's got the nice car, she's got the put together family. Her daily routine includes things like going to the gym for workout class, uh, having lunch with her friends at a nice restaurant, or remodeling her lavish home. Many of us this morning, we are actually bending over backwards to get the kind of life that Carol has. But as the film Safe progresses, you realize that something is off in Carol's reality. She experiences physical and psychological and emotional distress that she's unable to pinpoint. So she goes and visits a doctor, and the doctor is unable to diagnose her with anything because it seems like physically everything should be fine. She goes to see a renowned psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist can't help her because by looking at her life, it seems like everything should be put together. One of the most unsettling features of the film is this uncomfortable chaos that you feel watching it, knowing that in some unnamed way, Carol's life isn't the way that it should be. Eventually, she ends up at an alternative care facility um, out in the wilderness. And while she's there, she hears daily talks about positive thinking from a guru. But the chaos continues. She's far from the busyness and the smog of the big city of Los Angeles, but the chaos is still there. So Carol looks to the last place she can to find the comfort that she longs for. She looks within herself. The movie ends with this tragic scene where Carol is in this isolation cabin all by herself. She's standing in front of a mirror and just looking at herself, repeating over and over again, I love you. I really love you. I love you. And then the screen goes black. That's it. Her final appeal to self-love only amplifies and accentuates the agony that she hasn't received the thing. She hasn't received the comfort that she really longs for. Safe is an interesting movie because it's a horror movie with no gore, no monsters that jump out and scare you, and yet it's this deeply troubling movie because it shows that in the end, chaos has the last word, and there's no room for comfort in Carol's life. While the movie is nearly 30 years old now, critics say that it's more relevant to our time now than ever before. Because Carol's inability to diagnose her problem is the film's way of diagnosing a condition in all of our lives. Her life seems perfect. It's put together. But there's this chaos underneath the surface. When you think about your life, do you see how we have more in common with Carol than we probably like to admit? Because we all long for comfort in the midst of chaos, don't we? Even if we just look back at this past year, we see ways that our lives have been undone by chaos. So maybe for you, it's the chaos of tragedy, the loss of a loved one in your life, the unexpected diagnosis that throws life into a tailspin, the marriage that falls apart, the job that you never thought you'd lose, but now you're trying to figure out what work looks like. Or maybe for you, it's the horrific loss of life that you see in international conflicts 
or the violence with people's words and actions carried out in our own country against people made in God's image. Or maybe for you, it's more subtle, more hidden, more like, well, Carol. It's the dull sense that things aren't as they should be in your anxiety and depression. It's an addiction that's wreaking havoc on your life, yet staying hidden from other people. It's the isolation that we feel when friendships or romantic relationships still leave us longing for the kind of connection that we deep down crave. Or maybe for you, it's the disillusionment of retirement or the disillusionment of finally getting that dream job and you finally got everything that you've worked for. And yet in this moment, you're more desperate for meaning than you ever have been before. When chaos seems to reign, we all long for comfort. This is the kind of longing that the Bible addresses in the second half of Luke chapter two. Now this portion of the Bible is kind of an underrated section in Luke's gospel account. It covers the time between Jesus' birth and his life as an adult. And it's tempting for us, if we're reading through Luke, it's tempting to just skip from the manger of Jesus to the ministry of Jesus. But if we skip this part of Luke and we miss it, we'll miss a key dynamic that Luke uses to tee up the rest of his gospel account. Our passage this morning begins with Mary and Joseph taking Jesus, who's about six weeks old, to the temple in Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and present him to the Lord according to Old Testament law. So let's pick up in verse 25. Now there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who is righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So Luke introduces us to this new character, Simeon. And we don't know much about him, but Luke shares two big things that we're gonna focus on this morning. First, notice how the Holy Spirit is actively involved in Simeon's life. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals to Simeon that in his lifetime, he will see the Messiah, the anointed one, who will establish the reign of God in the world. In an even more specific way, the Holy Spirit brings Simeon to the temple courts on this day, at this time. So whatever happens next in the narrative happens because the Holy Spirit is trying to get Simeon's attention and our attention at something. The second thing we know is that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's that phrase mean? It might not mean much to us at first glance because in our cultural moment, we usually use the word consolation like a consolation prize, like it's something for the loser. And in our, in our cultural moment, we turn our nose up at that because we're shaped by the wisdom that there are no points for second place. Thank you, Top Gun, for that. We need that. <laughs> but, but is that the kind of consolation that Luke is talking about here? What does Luke mean? This particular word really gets at the original meaning of the word consolation, which is to console someone or provide comfort for someone in the midst of suffering. So Simeon is waiting on a comfort in the midst of his suffering. And his waiting is not just the everyday impatient waiting that you and I have when we're waiting in the self-checkout line at the grocery store. We're trying to figure out, do we go to the person, the actual person over here? No, I wanna stay, no. Not, this, is, this is not everyday waiting. This is a deep longing, a deep longing for something that will change everything. In the context right here, it's been 400 years for the people of God since they've heard a prophetic word from God himself. Simeon has this deep longing for God to do something. 
Now with this reference to the comfort of Israel, the consolation of Israel, Luke connects us to a huge theme in the prophetic literature of the Old Testament, especially near the end of Isaiah, where God addresses his people who are in exile. So God's people find themselves in exile because of the sins of idolatry and injustice. They're exiled far away from home in a historical, historical and literal way, but also in a deeper personal way. Their lives are undone by the chaos of sin and they're away from home with God. And it's into this chaos that God gives his people a future hope to look forward to. And if we don't, if we don't appreciate that chaos and that comfort that are at play in Isaiah with the exiled people of God, then we're gonna think that whatever Simeon says here in Luke 2 is not that big of a deal. We'll be tempted to just skip over it. But if we slow down and we really appreciate and examine the hope that God's people have in exile, we will see what the Holy Spirit is trying to show Simeon and show us this morning. Let's look at Isaiah 51 as an example of this hope that God's people have in exile. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. Now first, notice with me how honestly the Bible names how our lives are affected by the chaos of sin and suffering. The heart of humanity is like a waste place, a wilderness, a desert. In the chaos of sin, there is an absence of life. The Bible is diagnosing that thing that was so elusive that plagued Carol's life, that plagues our lives. And yet for many of us, maybe especially those of us who have been around church for a while are very skilled in the art of masking our sin. We become good at hiding it from other people and we think we're good at hiding it from ourselves and from God. But here's the tricky bit, the, the degree to which we hide our, our sin or pretend like we can hide our sin, that is the degree to which sin will wreak havoc on our lives. So out of the gate, Isaiah is inviting us to stop hiding the ugly, ugliness of sin so that hope can break through into our lives. Now, notice also how the comfort that God gives here is maybe a little bit different than what we'd expect, maybe really different than we'd expect. The, the, we'd expect for the comfort that God gives his people to involve the removal of chaos. And while that's true in a way, God's comfort is actually far more than just that. When God's comfort encounters the chaos of sin, we see a transformation at play, a transformation from the wilderness into Eden, from the desert into the garden of the Lord. So Isaiah's telling us that biblical comfort actually has nothing to do with us being comfortable. It has everything to do with us being restored. And this need for comfort, for restoration, is something that hits at the heart of every single person. All of us want that restoration. Yet the story of our lives is so often a story of us pursuing shallow shortcuts to comfort. So we try to numb the chaos in our lives through addictions. Or, or we seek comfort in physical relationships with other people, even if they go against God's good design for sexuality. Or we'll chase status or the flex of a job. Or we'll use our busyness We'll even use good religious busyness that maybe is just posturing for other people with no real character transformation. We will even use that to try to numb the pain of the chaos. 
But, but the sad truth is that those shallow shortcuts promise comfort, but they only deliver us into more cycles of chaos. See, the Bible tells us that the, the exile, the wilderness, the chaos, it's not just out there. It's actually in here. It means that the comfort that we long for can't come from within. It can't come from just looking in a mirror. It must be delivered to us. Let's go back to Luke 2 and Simeon. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he, Simeon, went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servants in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. When Simeon sees Jesus, he sees everything that he's been longing for. He sees the comfort that he's been waiting for his entire life. His hope is found no other place than in this baby in his arms. And that hope isn't just for Simeon himself. He references Isaiah 49, 6, another exilic passage, where this hope is for all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This comfort that Jesus brings can restore every heart that aches in the exile of sin. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what mistakes have marked your life this past year or beyond. It doesn't matter what chaotic cycles of sin or shame or addiction that seem to define you. The Holy Spirit is directing Simeon's attention and our attention to the only hope that all of us have. And it's not ourselves. It's not the shallow shortcuts to comfort that we so often chase. Our attention is pointed in a singular direction, to Jesus. Because of him, there is hope for everyone. And if we don't already realize how big of a deal this is for our lives and for our world, look at the response that Mary and Joseph have. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, Mary and Joseph have heard from angels. They've had so many amazing things that heard about Jesus, but they marvel at what Simeon's just said. The promise of God that's fulfilled in this six-week-old baby. Mary and Joseph's response to Jesus signals that we need to have a response to Jesus too. And it's our response to Jesus that Simeon speaks to next. Let's pick up in verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So in Simeon's words to Mary here, we see a kind of paradox at play in the mission of Jesus. Jesus' comfort will bring a kind of discomfort to people. He says that Jesus will cause the, the falling and rising of many in Israel. And biblical scholars say that, that two true things are happening here in this statement about the falling and rising of many. So in one sense, this describes two different kinds of people, two different categories or groups of people. There are people who are going to try to pursue their comfort their own way, on their own terms, apart from Jesus. They will experience a kind of falling, a downfall. But then there will be those who submit their lives to the reign of King Jesus and his comfort. And they will rise to a life of flourishing with him. And we certainly see that dynamic play out in the rest of Luke's gospel account. 
And while Simeon could be describing two different groups of people here, there's also a sense in which he's describing a dynamic at place in every single follower of Jesus. We all have to fall in the pursuit of our shallow sources of comfort. We have to come to the end of ourselves to see that the only way to rise is through Jesus. Later in Luke, Jesus describes this by saying that we have to take up our cross daily and follow him. To gain life, true life, we have to lose life on our own terms. Simeon goes on to say that this dynamic will lead to the thoughts of many hearts being revealed. Now that word thoughts there can also be translated as schemes. So it's not just what you and I think, it's what we desire. It's what we really, really want. So this this act of falling and rising will bring in a radical clarity for us of what we really want. It will confront us. This is big. This is, we have to pay attention to this. The restorative comfort of God will always confront us. It will confront what we really think we want, our schemes. Now, most of us probably wouldn't say this, but, but our schemes, our habitual actions, our thought lives, our desires, they reveal sometimes that what we really want is for Jesus to make us happy on our own terms. We want Jesus to rubber stamp our plans for our lives and our schemes. We want him to help us manicure a nice, comfortable lives for ourselves. But remember, the comfort that Jesus brings isn't meant to make us comfortable. It's about bringing us into a process of transformation and restoration. And that means that we can't receive the comfort of Jesus if we're trying to maintain sovereign control over our lives. Jesus' mission is not about making us happy. It's about making us whole. And if we want that kind of comfort from Jesus, we need to be confronted by Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but, but when I'm confronted by Jesus about my sin, when I examine my own life and the schemes that I have that fuel those shallow shortcuts to comfort that create cycles of chaos, it's kind of defeating And that's why it matters to me and all of us that the foundation for all of this is not my faithfulness to Jesus, but his faithfulness on my behalf. That's what Simeon's final words to Mary point us toward. Let's pick up in verse 35. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon foreshadows the pain that Mary will experience as she sees her son rejected by other people, leading him to the cross. And while the cross of Jesus is the event that will pierce Mary's soul, it's also the event that will heal it. It is the moment of hope and comfort and restoration from Isaiah. It's the comfort that Simeon and you and I are longing for. And it will happen because on the cross, Jesus will enter the chaos of God's judgment against sin on our behalf so that we can be restored to a true life with him. All that takes us back to these powerful words from Simeon when he sees Jesus for the first time. I want to go back to it in verse 30. When he sees six-week-old Jesus, Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. When he's looking at this six-week-old baby, he sees the totality of God's salvation. Everything he longed for. This baby who has not yet endured temptation in the wilderness. This baby who has not yet given the Sermon on the Mount or taught with a parable. This six-week-old baby who hasn't gathered a follower, uh, following of disciples, hasn't got the attention of the crowds. He hasn't defended the marginalized and oppressed yet. 
He hasn't performed any miracles. He hasn't confounded the religious leaders of his day. And yet the key to everything that Simeon longed for is looking up at him. And he realizes he's not just looking at this six-week-old baby. He's looking at his king. He is looking at the king who will bring the restorative comfort that we all need, that will make all things new. Simeon sees that Jesus is more than the chaos of sin. He sees that Jesus is more than the shallow shortcuts to comfort that we often chase. What if this next year, together, we grew in seeing Jesus the way that Simeon does? If we do it, it will create a response in our lives as well. We can invite the comfort of Jesus to confront us, to confront the chaos in our lives, and we'll be changed. But it all starts with seeing that Jesus is more. Here in our church, we believe, we fiercely believe that God is moving the hearts and minds of more people to believe that Jesus is more. That's our mission. And according to Luke 2, that's God's mission as well. So we try to surround ourselves with reminders of that mission. It's on the walls of our building. You can find it on everything from stickers to t-shirts. And we need those reminders because it is one thing to think that this three-word statement is true. It is a very, very different thing to live like it's true. Earlier this year, I was talking with a buddy of mine, and I really appreciate in a moment of, uh, like, well, I had a lot of guts and humility to just be vulnerable with me. And the topic of the Jesus is more shirts came up. And my friend was able to share that there are times when he feels like it's hard for him to put that shirt on. Sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, he doesn't feel worthy of wearing it. I sometimes feel that way too, right? We feel unworthy because there's this disconnect between what we say and what we believe and how we actually live. And it's convicting. It's convicting when we think about what last weekend was like, what this past year was like, what my thought life looks like. That three-word statement is convicting because it clarifies how Jesus is worth more than the shallow shortcuts to comfort that we chase. He's more than the approval of other people. He's more than money. He's more than quick fix pleasures that numb the pain of our lives. Jesus is more than anything this world can offer. It's so true. And yet that is only the first way that Jesus is more. In our conversation, my friend shared a breakthrough moment that helped him realize and see how he can put that shirt on even in the midst of feeling unworthy because he saw the second way that Jesus is more. He acknowledged the weight of sin and the unworthiness and shame that come from our failures, and yet in facing that hard reality, he realized that that's exactly why we need this three-word statement, this truth that changes everything. Because the chaos wants us to keep our eyes on ourselves, wants us to keep our eyes fixed in the mirror, but this truth keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because Jesus is not just worth more than anything this world can offer. He's also worth more than the chaos of our failure. Jesus is more than our faithlessness because he is perfectly faithful in our place. Jesus is more than our shame because he destroyed the shame of sin on the cross. It may seem like chaos reigns, but King Jesus reigns. And when we live into that truth, we're not pushed further away from him we realize that he's actually drawing near to us, making us new with his comfort. I don't know about you, but when I'm faced with the lifelessness of my sin, 
my suffering and my schemes. I don't need to look into a mirror and believe that I'm more and see myself. I need to look to King Jesus and be like Simeon and see that he is more. He is the comfort we belonging for. But the question is, do we see him? What if 2024 is a year where we all live in that truth that Simeon saw? As a church, as a community, as individual people, all together we lean into the movement of the Holy Spirit to help us see Jesus as he is. To see that he is our king who confronts us because he loves us. He is our comfort who restores us. If together we see that Jesus is more, we will find the true life and love that we are desperately longing for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Looking back on this year, looking back on the totality of our lives, we come before you with the schemes, with the suffering, with the sin, with the things that seem to make chaos reign in our lives. God, we take them before you and we look to Jesus. Would your spirit give us the eyes to see that when we see him, we see your salvation. God, in your grace, in your love, would you confront us? Would you help us see the ways that we compromise and we choose other things instead of Jesus? Help us remember that Jesus is more. And together as a community of faith, God, as we recognize those things, would you help us see that second way that Jesus is more because he has defeated the shame of sin on the cross. He is more than anything. God, in your grace, would you help us to do that for your glory in your story? We need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.